Blog Talk Radio. I own it, I did that, not proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be everyone, this is Jean. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. Okay, I'm going to dial a number right now, and a voice will hopefully answer that sounds familiar. Hello. Hello, Catherine. This is Jean. Welcome home to the Bubble Hour. Jean, thank you so much. Oh, I know our listeners are going to be excited to hear your voice. In fact, I'll just stop talking now. You have an hour. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you like to know? <laughs> uh, okay, so our listeners will have downloaded the show, and the title on it says that we're going to talk about responding to relapse around us. And um, that the reason the reason we're doing this is because I t- reached out to you last week to just get your feedback on I was kind of bouncing around this issue of like what's the best way to help someone who relapses and part of you kind of wants to smack them and say hey like this doesn't feel good to me and part of us knows that it's about them and blah 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 anyway you were so helpful to me we had such a good discussion we were like let's talk about this and record it in case there's any little nuggets in there that might help someone. So that's our topic today. But in, in, in true bubble hour style, I think we would be remiss if we didn't spend some time hearing from you about what's been going on in, in your life and giving you some time to, to share what's been happening in this last little while. Well, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Jean. It's just great to hear your voice and hi everyone. Um, Yeah, so in in terms of recovery, I've got about four and a half years now. Um, I still go to recovery meetings every day, and I work with uh, other people on our our recovery program. Um, I also am in contact with other sober people every day who just really help me navigate uh, life in a sober fashion. Um, I have some new responsibilities at work. I have a second division that's reporting into me now. So uh, longtime listeners will remember that I went through a whole bunch of of sturm and drong at work just from a recovery standpoint, trying to unhook from my perfectionism and, you know, my sort of frantic feeling of being overwhelmed and I'll tell you, it's that work is just paying dividends because I have uh, more than double the responsibilities at work now. And, you know, I still get sort of times of feeling overwhelmed, but by and large, I'm just sort of taking it as it comes. And it's, I mean, 
none of this would be possible if I weren't sober. So that's kind of amazing. Um, I'm also, you guys know me and I'm you know, kind of interested in spiritual pursuits. So I've been taking that kind of where uh, this kind of following an interesting path on that. I earned a hundred hour certificate in a thing called holistic psychology I earned a, another certificate and a kind of another sort of form of uh, spiritual practice that I do. Um, I earned my Reiki master certification. So I've been kind of keeping uh, really active with that pursuit. And, you know, for me, that's all really tied in with, uh, with recovery. And what I'm kind of finding is that somebody said to me, like, why don't, well, you know, make a pie chart of your life if you're feeling overwhelmed and sort of see how much of it is uh, work and play and spirituality and family and friends and stuff like that. And I realized that for me, you know, my whole pie chart ideally is spirituality. Um, and if, if everything else is kind of coming out of that, then I feel like I'm in service and then I don't get overwhelmed. Um, so it's really, I feel much more even keeled than I probably ever have in my whole life. (laughs) And I probably have even more on my plate than I ever have. So that's, that's where I've been. It's been kind of action packed. You know, every time I talk to you, I'm like, do we, do we live on the same planet? Like, does your world have 24 hours in a day? Uh Because I feel like you do so much. I mean, you have a big, big job that just doubled in size and you get to recovery meetings every day and you have these other pursuits that are, you know, they're not, I, I know you, this isn't just a like, oh, I'm going to watch a a special on TV about spirituality. <laughs> like <laughs> you, know, you really, you really live it. And um, it, it's amazing to me all that you do and yet you just have a calm in your voice that it, it resonates it, it's um you were explaining the pie chart thing to me a while ago and and I I just could see you like you know just because I know you travel a lot for work so I could yeah. just see you like taking every opportunity finding every opportunity to that that a travel time serves your spirituality and meeting serves that and the work opportunities serve that and that's a that's a really interesting lens to view life through because it it changed everything for you didn't it yeah it really changed everything and you know I, I think when I was drinking I spent a lot of time in fear and playing small, um, feeling like, oh, I'm so busy, I couldn't possibly do fill in the blank. Um, And it was just, it was a way of kind of keeping me in fear and playing small. And what recovery teaches me is that as I take a little action, whatever it is, it gives me kind of a sober reference point. So like for me, when I first got sober, I thought, well, I couldn't attend recovery meetings for all of these various reasons, you know, because I had assumptions about things. Um, well, I, I couldn't, okay, so now I kind of like them, but I, I couldn't possibly go every day. 
don't you know how busy I am? And I, I travel 80% of my time and, um, or, you know, I, I, I thought, well, I, I couldn't possibly go in the morning. I'm not a morning person or whatever my excuses were. And, and when I found that I could do those things, that kind of, for me, flipped a switch so that everything I started thinking, like, maybe I could try that. Like, oh, I can't do that. Well, but maybe you could. And I started sort of keeping my eyes peeled for my own BS and sort of listening for my own excuses. I mean, really. And it, mm-hmm. so then I had these sober reference points of like, oh, I, I can do that. I can do that. Um, another thing that I found was just sort of um, when I felt like I was doing something out of fear, um, that's what made me feel overwhelmed and busy. Like I have to keep up some appearance of being perfect or being whatever. And instead, if I started thinking about it in terms of service, like how can I show up in my workplace and just show up, then I stopped being annoyed at all the emails that I got or all the people that would stop by and, you know, ask for my help. Or I just found myself getting more present. Um, And I I just, I stopped worrying about, uh, not stopped, I mean, it's not like I'm, sort of sitting on top of some mountain, you know, like the Buddha, but I can, I can reset myself, put it that way, um, so that I can feel more at ease. Yeah, that's inspiring. And I think I was in a hotel room when we talked. I was traveling when we talked. You were. I recorded yeah. that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was, it. I was in a hotel room. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Beep. Oh, that's funny. Um, I, you know, the other thing that, that strikes me as I listen to you talk is that in the past year, you and I have sort of been on similar journeys in terms of going through big changes. But on the outside, they look quite different because for me, um, my husband and I are in the process of kind of winding down our business and transitioning into semi-retirement. And, you know, I had to kind of go from being like a very visible business person and kind of a big deal in my own mind to like being in the office eight hours a day, um, Mm. which I you know, I used to be out and in the public eye and doing more like front stuff. And now I'm back to, I mean, we had a whole team of employees that we over time, you know, wound down to just the two of us again. So, I mean, I'm back to keying invoices on top of, you know, all the other stuff I used to do. And so for me, it's been about like, unwinding and and learning to feel safe with being um I don't know like less of the boss you know <laughs> like mm-hmm, yeah, boy mm-hmm. I, I it's a real challenge to the ego if you're fed by um you know that sort of reinforcement and things like that so so for me like to for someone who got a lot of validation out of being an important person um i i have had to learn to be okay with you know saying yeah i'm i'm we're winding down uh when people say are you guys are you guys doing a lot these days you got a lot of projects on the go and to to say oh no we're kind of you know we're slowing down we're shifting gears that that's that was really hard for me to choke out and 
and what got me through it was doing lots of yoga and having lots of being really grounded and re- really centered in who I am and yeah. and and just being really present and self-aware instead of that um, other aware. Like I had to really unhook from how others see me and learn to value how I see me. And that's been really hard for me. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I mean, the yeah. culture teaches us that we're supposed to sort of, you know, maintain a certain, you know, outward thing or sort of this idea of busyness as, um, you know, a marker of importance and, and all of it, you know, riding any part of the, these waves up and down. I mean, for me, the more humble that I get, um, you know, it makes me feel a little weird to talk. Let's talk about how humble I am. But yeah. the more I, <laughs> but the more I keep myself in that frame of mind, um, yeah then I don't worry about uh, or, or, or I'll tend to worry less about, you know, feeling unworthy or too big or too small or um, not able or less than or whatever. I just, I, I am less likely to get hooked in by that. Yeah, that's cool. And it, it's amazing mm-hmm. to me how the same principle serves us across the spectrum, you know, whether yeah. you're, is ramping up as yours has or or you know shifting down as mine has the yeah. same the same sort of inner peace allows both to really flourish it's amazing right so so let's let's shift into our topic Catherine because you're such a you, you you're you're such a good counterbalance to me because you go to meetings every day and I recovered outside of a 12-step program. I'm recovering uh, in the present tense outside of a 12-step program. And, um, and yet I just, I find our conversations are always so enlightening back and forth because we just give and take so much from each other. And on the subject of, of um, relapse or just responding to the people around us and the decisions that they make. And when you've been supporting someone who then you're like, Hey, where you been? How's it going? And they say, Oh yeah. You know what? I decided um, uh, that that really wasn't for me. I really didn't need to get sober. I'm, I'm fine. Or, or they've had a relapse and they don't know how they feel about it and come to you for it, whatever. Um, for me, recovering in more of an isolated fashion made that really hard for me to know how to respond to it. But you had a different perspective from from your experience of going to lots of meetings and having lots of exposure to at different levels yeah. of of in and out. So, so let's just let's start there. Like, tell me what your perspective is on. Addiction, recovery, and relapse. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we talk all the time on this show about the value of having some kind of recovery community, you know, however you design that in a way that makes sense for you. Um, and we talk about that in all, for all kinds of reasons, you know, having accountability to other people, having, you know, help and support as we're recovering. But one of the benefits that I found is that in in watching people kind of come and go in their own 
journey of recovery. When somebody relapses, if I'm around other sober people and I kind of see it all the time, it becomes less personal if a person relapses. Um, So I'm sort of less likely to feel sort of hooked into whatever their process is. It's sort of like, oh, well, okay, you know, let's, let's hope they come back. Um, Another thing for me that it's done is that it's, it helps me recognize the signs of when somebody is either starting to go down the path of um, consciously or unconsciously planning their relapse. Um, And it, so that kind of reduces the surprise when it, when it, when the person says, Oh, well, well, I've, I've gone out. I mean, it sort of is like, well, no kidding. Like I saw that from a mile away. Um, (laughs) And the important thing really is that I can watch for those signs in myself. So I'll give you an example. There was, there's somebody who I was friendly with in my recovery program and I saw every day um, this person had some pretty dramatic um, external consequences of their drinking uh, about a year and a half ago. And, but then about a year in, like you, I could kind of hear in how this person was talking that they were still really, you know what, Jean, they were still kind of hooked into presenting a certain image of themselves. Like it just kind of, the, the ego piece kind of really showed through. Mm-hmm. And in talking to them to say, well, you know, have you, have you thought about tackling these life problems by using X, Y, Z recovery methods? There was a lot of resistance there. And about a year and a half in the person said, well, you know what? I've decided they stopped kind of showing up and I reached out and they said well you know what I travel a lot for work and I entertain a lot for work and so much of what I do is around drinking and food and stuff like that and I'm going to try to moderate and I said (laughs) you know I'm here you know whatever and that story is really important for me because there's somebody with this kind of quote unquote big time corporate job and on the outside would look a lot like me and have a lot of those kind of life. So like if I'm not careful, I could see myself getting into a place of justification. Like, Oh, I travel all the time. You know, I have to entertain people all the time or go to networking events. Um, or no, I don't really want to spend this time looking at myself in response to my problems. I just, I'm, I'm much more comfortable swimming around in self-pity. <laughs> I mean, I am, that's just who I am. So like, if I'm not careful, um, and so this way, by seeing this person, I'm not, I'm not hooked into their story. I'm able to sort of turn it around and look at myself. So when I'm seeing this and I've seen people 
relapse with 15, 20, 25, 30 years of, of sobriety. There's a, there's a woman who had like over 30 years who just relapsed. Hmm. I mean, so I've, I've seen a lot of, of it. Um, and it's, it's always helpful to kind of turn the lens back on myself. And when I, when I first reached out to you and kind of said like, Oh man, I, I'm really struggling with how to be supportive to people when they, and let them have their own autonomy and let them make their own decisions and still be supportive. And what I want to say is this sucks. You, you know, this is bad for you. This is going to hurt you. Like it's obvious. Um, And, you know, one thing you said, and I, I, and I, to me, it, there's an emotional, I have often an emotional response to it too. We'll talk about that afterwards. But, but the first thing you said was, well, you know, I go to a lot of meetings and I see people come and go. And I know that it is, it is really common for people to come and go, especially um, alcoholics, because there, there are a number of people that maybe enter into a program or are like maybe start into sobriety, maybe they don't need to be there. I think we have to be fair and say that there's probably a, a percentage, I would guess it's small, of people that consider sobriety who maybe haven't really crossed into addiction yet, you know. And and so maybe they, maybe there are some people who justifiably leave the program because it never was what they needed. I don't know. Maybe that's true. But there are definitely lots of people who need to be there. And this one symptom of their of their need to be there is the fact that they really like, struggle and are in and out of it. And when you see that all the time, like you say, like you also see the precursors to it, and and you see it come full circle where they do come back again, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, the thing is, is that I always think to myself, like, eyes on your own paper. So, like, my sobriety can't depend on another person's sobriety. And, like, you know, on the topic of whether or not somebody belongs, like, that's that's their business. That's not my business. I mean, my business is, Uh like, I know that when I have the first sip of the first drink, I don't want to stop. I want more and more and more. Like, the fact of the matter is, I don't want to go out and see if I can moderate because I can't moderate. Like I literally tried that for over 15 years. I thought Mm -hmm. that I would get a different outcome every day for 15 years. And I never got a different, like for me, that was proof enough. And, you know, I read a, uh, a memoir written by a pretty famous writer and she details kind of her, admission you know out of control drinking and drugging and she had made her life pretty complicated with all of that and then she details going into a recovery program and she kind of all about that and it's a great book and then I picked up her second book and in the one of the opening chapters she's talking about sharing a bottle of wine with her husband and I kind of was like wait a second what (laughs) And this was like 10 years later, you know, after the first one. And then she kind of circles back a little bit and says, well, you know, about that nice little recovery program, like that's cute for you people, but I don't, 
I don't need it. Nice. First reaction was like, well, bully for you, you know. <laughs> and the second thing was eyes on your own paper to myself because if I'm not really honest about who I am, then I could be very seduced by this idea that I could somehow share a bottle of wine. Like for me, sharing a bottle of wine with my husband means I want a second bottle of wine. I will fall down. I will embarrass him. It's not, it's not going to a good place for me. So if she can do it, then that's, that's fine. I would posit that anybody who's listening to a program such as this one or showing up to a recovery meeting probably has something that they want to look at, but that's, that's their business, not mine. And the fact of the matter is I don't want to moderate. Even if I could, if I could drink, like, I don't want to moderate. I want to drink to get drunk. And that's, for me, that's full fact. Um, yeah, I think we yeah. convinced ourselves that moderating, like, like you say, like, you and I both know, we have, we both have enough evidence that that's not an option. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't even want it to be an option. It's like, right. what, I, I don't, I don't want, we went out for our wedding anniversary the other day. And uh, my husband had forgotten to tell the, he told them it was our anniversary, but he had forgotten to say no alcohol. And uh, so they come, the guy comes sweeping over with these two glasses of champagne. Like before we could say anything, the guy's like talking and he's so excited. And And my husband sort of looked at me in terror. Like, I'm so sorry. I forgot. And I just motioned to him, like, forget it. And, the guy went away and I said, don't worry about it, you know, which, which was interesting because early in recovery, I would have been mad that I was missing out. And then a little later I would have felt embarrassed, but now um, I kind of was like, whatever. But um, one of the things that I said to him was they don't have enough champagne here. Like that one (laughs) glass. That's a joke. That one glass is not, enough man like my glass and your glass is still not enough like I want seven bottles I want to drink until I'm you know passed out so yeah that's me and yeah. you know and other people realizing like you know and this idea of this a range of emotions I mean I think that when I first got sober I probably would have thought I would have been impatient, like, why can't you do this? Like, look, either, either like, well, I'm struggling through, just suck it up. Or um, can't you see how great it is? Don't you want this too? And then a little mm-hmm. later, I maybe would have felt like resentment, like I'm spending all this time trying to help you and, and, you know, look at how you're just using me. But both of those reactions are just fear-based stuff that's like, fear that maybe maybe I'll lose my sobriety too or you know that's maybe I won't get it yeah Mm -hmm. or if you can Mm -hmm. then why can't I like that I think I struggled with that a lot and I really felt all those things just as you said them I mean because I because I blog about sobriety lots of people who are considering sobriety or in early sobriety will 
make that connection with me through the blog or through the comment section with other people. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll be getting all this cheering on, and then and then you know they if they go back out or if they can't get it like they're yeah I felt all of those things part of me was like frustrated and part of me um part of me that if I've been trying to be supportive to someone and trying to encourage them and and they you know go back then there's a part of me who there's a little girl in me that feels hurt that says like you're rejecting how I live my life you're rejecting the help I've given you we we're not, you're not really my friend. Like I really have these very childlike um, insecure emotions that are all about me. And yeah, when I first heard, you know, that there was a, there's a lot of slogans that come out of recovery and out of 12 step traditions in particular, where it was like the, the screech, you know, the pin across the LP. What was that? Eyes on your own yeah. paper, stay on your own side of the street. What do you mean stay on your own side of the street? Like, I'm going to help all these people. I'm going to save all these people. And and I realized that I really, really was shame motivated. Like, mm-hmm. I did not want to be bad. I wanted to be good. And those were all the bad things. And how could anybody do that knowing it's bad? And I, the idea of minding your own, tending to your only yourself was really hard for me to understand. I had to really look into that and, and ask, like, well, why? Why does that help? Why why aren't we all helping each other? We, why aren't we all recovering together? What? How does this help anybody if I only worry about myself? Isn't that selfish? So what's your understanding of what that means and why it's helpful? Well, I, I just think that, you know, this idea that I can sort of you know, save anyone, um, can really veer into, you know, I just, I'm also kind of this recovering codependent. Right. And I, I think that I can really get wrapped up in the mode. Uh, there's, there's sort of a payoff for me of, um, you know, somebody else's success or failure being a reflection on me or, you know, or a reflection on my own worth. So there's sort of a, you know, there's a, there's a good motivation, but then there is a darker underpinning if I'm not careful about it. Um, And, you know, I, I also just think that it's important for me to stay clear eyed about what active alcoholism is. And like, you know, active alcoholics tend to screw people over like pardon my French, but we do. I did, you know, as much as I felt like, Oh, you know, I wasn't that bad. I mean, come on. Like, and I'll tell you, there's a, there's a story that's sort of a mundane story from my drinking days that I think about a lot. I had been in another city and my husband was there with me. And I had gotten together with some old work pals and I had a martini and we were supposed to, I was supposed to be meeting my husband to go to a concert that he really wanted to go to. And I was about an hour away by train and I thought, well, I'll have another martini and then I'll have another one. 
and I kept putting off the train time to get the train to meet him. And I finally got the train and I was, I, I really, really contemplated like just skipping it altogether. Oh, this is his concert. He was interested. I, I don't, I haven't seen my friends in a long time, blah, blah, blah. And I, but I got the train and I got to meet him and I really couldn't understand why he was mad. And I was annoyed that he was mad at me. Like, well, I can't believe, you know, whatever. And I also wanted to drink more and I had no opportunity to do it at this venue where we were going. And that's not much of a story that doesn't have, you know, big consequences or whatever. But that's an example of how I really cared about myself before other people. Um, And so it helps me have compassion then. Somebody who's actively drinking is not thinking about me. They're just not. No matter how much I've tried to help them, um, they're just, they're doing what they do. They're doing what, what we do as alcoholics. Like they're just, that's just what they're doing. So all I can do is bring it back to watching myself. You know? Yeah. And I just think of that. I think it's Anne Lamott who has that great quote about the lighthouse doesn't run around the island looking for ships to save. They just stay put and shine their light and, and help who they help as the light crosses their path. I think that's kind of a, you know, those two ideas in, in, in opposition of understanding that a person who really is being ruled by their addictive mind or by, you know, the impulse to drink, you're right. They're, they're not worrying about anybody else. Um, they're not even really worrying yeah. about themselves. Survival that they're interested in is the survival of the addiction and, and that's it. And, and, um, that's it. and it's hard not to be hurt by that. It, because especially if you've invested time in someone, but I think it is important to remember that, that I don't know. I, sometimes I watch the news, you know, and we'll see something horrible that someone has done. And, and then the public's response is like, how could anyone do that? It's a terrible thing. And I'm like, because they're not well. And it made perfect Mm -hmm. sense to them at that time to strip naked and climb the empire state building and yodel like that made perfect sense to the way they're, um, non-neurotypical brain was working and and it's it's easier to be tolerant if we understand that that the brain isn't working fun- functioning normally so yeah. how can we expect normal behavior that's one thing and then the other is if yeah so if we just if we just worry about us well no eyes on your own paper doesn't mean just worry about yourself right it's not a selfish thing it's an understanding no. that it doesn't help to try to control other people. It doesn't help you and it doesn't help them. No, I, I like, mean, you know, I, go ahead. Um, I feel like there's an arc to my ability to help people or, or the way that I've learned to help or not help other people. And I think there's probably at least a handful or two of listeners who, I've been in back and forth with been, you know, supporting along their way. And and when I first started 
blogging and first got sober and I was basically the big cheerleader. Like I had 10 exclamation marks on every message I sent to everyone. You can do it. Get back on steady the bus, you know? And, um, and then at some point I just kind of realized that I, in, in only presenting that, as like the only option to them. I think I lost a few people along the way who that wasn't helpful for them. That wasn't even what they needed. They, you know, I am got to a point where I can now say, listen, this is a great life. This is what's working for me. I, I know it gives, it's a life that gives peace and, and happiness. And I'd like that for you. And I'd like you to have that. And, you know, this is the only way I know to get it. And that, that's sort of that shift, right, of being, like, focused on them and telling them what to do or what I hope they do versus saying, this is, this is what works for me. This is my wish for you. But how you get yeah. there is up to you. <laughs> well, and there's, a, there's a lot of compassion in that. I mean, I, I think I shared with you that there's in the, the literature in my recovery program, there's actually a whole section on – how do you deal with this situation? Um, so that's, that's really helpful because it does say, listen, we have to be patient. We're dealing with sick people. Um, you know, and all we can really do, do is share our experience and have compassion um, for what they're, what they're going through. But like, we can't evangelize, we can't criticize, we can't force ourselves on people and moralize in any, in any kind of way. Cause like, frankly, that wouldn't have helped me, you know, if anybody had tried that. Um, and honestly, it, what it, what it says is like, if the person doesn't want to stop, don't waste your time trying to persuade them. Um, because spending your time on a person who doesn't, isn't interested can take away your time from working with somebody who is. And so like, if you're, if we are able to be the lighthouse in the Anne Lamott model, you know, then we sort of lit the light for them. And then, you know, what the recovery literature says is you shouldn't be offended if the person wants to call it off. And Mm -hmm. frankly, they may be helping you more than you're helping them. So again, that kind of goes back to my like service model of um, looking at life that way. So rather than me trying to get a payoff, an emotional payoff from like, I get to be the hero and help somebody recover. Instead, it's like, look, I'm just showing up because they're they're helping me. There's actually a funny story. I think I told you this one that there's this woman – that I know who's 91 and she's been sober for 59 years. Mm-hmm. And she said when she was first trying to get sober, she was kind of going in and out and couldn't get it. And a woman came to her to try to help her out. And she was being all resistant and not taking any suggestions. And finally the woman said, you know what? I don't give a rat if you do drink. I'm just here to help myself. And she left. <laughs> and so like, this, this woman, my friend, said that was the thing that got her. So this woman <laughs> just sort of said, look, I'm out. Um, so, you know, it's probably different for any, everyone, but, you know, all we can do is kind of plant the seed, be the lighthouse. Um, right. And, you know, kind of 
we and and I should also say I get this question a lot of like, well, so and so is calling me and she's drunk, or what? So and so came over drunk and like I just don't know what to do. Like I, I personally can't and won't deal with somebody who's who's drunk. Um, that's just too close for comfort, and it's not someone's just not going to be in a position of being receptive to any kind of help if they are drunk. Um, so just because I get that question a lot, like, what do I do? Um, I think that's kind of important. So but, call me when you're sober. Is that the answer when someone calls you when they've been drinking? Yeah. Like, why don't you, I, why, you know, go, go to, go get a glass of water and go to bed and let's talk <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. You know, you know what that makes me think of is um, <clears throat> I primarily deal with people through emails, messages, comments, that kind of thing. And, and I'm remembering someone who, well, I've had more than one experience where I get like these late night, like lengthy confessionals from people. And, and uh, early on when I wasn't all that experienced, I would just like jump right in. I would like write back this long, encouraging email and just invest tons of time and be so emotionally invested you know, and then and then the person wouldn't respond. So then I'd be like, "Hey, checking in. Are you okay? Checking in. Are you okay?" And and they, I would get a real strong pushback. And finally, I realized, okay, these are people that are writing to me when they're drinking, and then mm-hmm. they have remorse the next day. And if I had, you know, waited and not responded to that, or just just skipped the lengthy email and the huge emotional response on my part, right, and just said like. You know, let's touch base. Let's, I don't know if I, I just felt yeah. like, like I said, like I was like, I was the cheerleader on my bench and woo, I got my pom-poms out. Yeah, let's go. I'm going to help you. I'm here. To-. And, um, and then they're like, oh yeah, didn't mean it. <laughs> right. Off. Oh no, every, every, everything's okay. Yeah. yeah and then, okay. then you feel like you're wearing like, a clown costume, right? Like, oh, wah, wah. Um, yeah. So for me, I feel like if I question my motivation, for my involvement, right. then, then I, I can just get really clear. Like, am, am I, what's my motivation? If I'm there to get some kind of emotional payoff from, you know, kind of being the rescuer or the hero, then, then I've got something about myself that I have to look at. Um, you know, but if I'm, if I'm willing and I'm, and I'm always willing. I mean, I've had a lot of people say, oh, hey, will you, will you sponsor me? Yep, absolutely. And then I'll say, well, okay, you know, step one, let's do this. And, like, I can always tell, like, the minute the person's like, well, can we do it a different way? Nope, we're going to do it this way because this is the way I know how to do it. For, for no other reason than this is the way that works, that I know how to do it. And, you know, those people kind of inevitably um, will will drink and then kind of come back months later and say, like, hey, can we still work together? Yep. Still same program of recovery. (laughs) So it's like, so someone asked you to be their sponsor, but then they want to tell you how they want you to sponsor them. That's someone who hasn't quite surrendered to allowing someone else to help them right yeah or like just allowing themselves to like 
be honest. And believe me, I mean, I've shared this on the show before of like, you know, my sponsor (laughs) said to me like way back, you have a very strong ego. Like I I don't want to be told what to do either. You know, believe me. Um, which is why I, I have so much compassion for somebody like wants to do it their way. But I just, I can't really get involved in, I, I know myself, like, I don't want to be told what to do, but I just do it anyway. And I do it through tears of rage sometimes, believe me, um, where I'm like, this is stupid. This isn't going to work. I hate this. And it always works. Like I just do it. <laughs> and that's kind of you annoying know, in itself too, right? Oh, darn it. It did work. <laughs> it's super annoying. I mean, no one is like, here's the thing. Like no one's saying that this is like easy or not annoying or like, you know, sometimes it is annoying to have to like go to a meeting every day. And sometimes the people there are annoying and you know what? Like, that's not my problem. My problem is that I'm an alcoholic and I just have to like deal. So it's just, I, that's again, that all of this gets back to like eyes on my own paper. I just have to get honest with myself. So if another person isn't willing to just meet me, you know, with, with a degree of honesty and openness and willingness, then, then am I really going to help them anyway? Um, so all of it is just about, for me, like not getting hooked in to Mm -hmm. the story of like how I can swoop in and be a hero or like my recovery can't depend on another person, can't depend on the situation. Like it can't be, oh, if my job situation changes, then I can get sober or then I can stay sober or you know, if, if only I weren't in this bad marriage, then I could get sober. I mean, these were all my old excuses that I had. So it similarly applies to like somebody else. If I, if I think that I have to stay sober for somebody or try to get somebody sober to validate my own process, like, mm, then I'm, then I'm kind of veering back into fear and ego, I think. So I, I try and keep a couple keywords in mind when I am connecting with someone who's going through that and kindness is always in the forefront of my mind. Yeah. Be kind. I think that's something I value under all circumstances and be steady. Like don't waver from, what I know is true for me. So that kind of goes back to eyes on your own paper. Like I, someone can tell me a thousand and one reasons why it's great for them to drink. I don't need to apply those to myself. Right. So stay steady in, in my beliefs and hold people accountable for what their decisions are regardless. And I don't think that means shaming them and saying like, that's fine, but you're going to drink, then you're going to be the fun. If that goes bad, yeah. Holding someone accountable. But I do think saying like, listen, you ultimately, this is your life and it is your decision how you want it to go. And, you know, you know, the resources that are here for you and this is, this is yours. You need to own it. Um, however it goes, if it goes good, if it goes bad, whatever, but I respect your right 
to, to own it. Um, but I, I care about you and I am here and yeah, you, you, you need to take ownership of this. And so when someone is giving you excuses, what they're trying to do is tell you why they don't own it. They're just along for the ride. But I do think to in kindness, hold people accountable in, in a way that is, and you know, I'm about empowerment versus powerlessness yeah. and they really are two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways so so to me that's empowering someone to say well okay this is this is your call but you have to own it if this is what you want and if this how is how you want it to go like for example the person you said who felt like they had to moderate for their job you know I do think it's okay to say okay so what are your guideposts like what are your red flags how will you know if this is working how will you know if it's not um you know, what are, what are your agreements with yourself? And of course I'm smiling as I say that because I think you and I both know as soon as someone starts making rules and agreements with themselves, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. an addictive behavior. Well, only drink yeah. on Sunday I'm wearing my blue shirt. Um, right. You know, that that's, I crossed that's every not, line, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are the lines? But you know, what are the lines? A big gift of recovery for me has been, um, realizing it's not about me. Like, it's just not about me what other people decide to do. And, like, if I'm powerless over what other people do or don't do, that's really empowering for me. Because then I get to say, oh, you know, I'm the captain of my ship. Oh, great. I don't have to worry about your ship. I can... I can be there and help you. And I mean, I, I just have huge compassion for people who are still drinking or people who relapse because I just remember how bad it was. I just remember how miserable I was and how I couldn't figure out why I was so unhappy all the time and why I just felt so set upon all the time and, Life just seemed really, really hard. And not much has changed on the outside of my life, but I just don't feel that way anymore. So, like, I don't – and you guys know, I've talked about it, that, you know, I had an active husband, and I felt very responsible for his behavior, like, why is he acting this way? Or why doesn't he just stop? Or blah, 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 blah. Well, because he didn't. That Why ask why? I mean, it wasn't my responsibility. My, but I was, I was too busy worried about him than I was thinking about that I needed to look at my own self, you know? Um, so not hooking into what other people are doing. Like, it's just not all about me. Hooray. Thank God. So it just makes things, it frees up a lot of space when I'm not thinking that everything has to do with me. But uh, my heart does go out, though. I can't help but think that there's maybe a few people listening who are hoping to hear something a little bit meatier. Like we're talking mostly about people relapsing around us that are in our support networks that are in our recovery groups yeah. or in our online groups or whatever for people. Uh, and you touched on it a bit with your ex-husband, but you know, um, it's a, it's a, it is a little different when it's your child, your spouse, your parent, you know, when it gets into that realm, 
and their addiction is affecting your everyday life. That's a different thing. And, um, and well, all um, roads lead to that, that 12 step program that has to deal with the families, you know, all, yeah. all roads maybe lead to that program. That's not a program that I happen to be involved in. Um, but I could be, um, but it, it does seem to me that all roads in dealing with our families, whether or not there's addiction in it or not, um, I think there's benefit to learning how to stand in our own space and own and it, our own stuff. And own it. And it is it is hard. I can attest to that. I um, had someone in um, in the, I don't know, personal realm of my life who who uh, has really had a lot of ups and downs and, and um, you know, we found ourselves in the same room one day this summer because we happened to be in the same place at the same time. And I really, I didn't know what to say. I didn't, I was hurt. I was kind of just withdrawn. I didn't say too much. And I had to give myself permission for that. I was like, you know what, like, just because I'm sober doesn't mean I have to have something magical to say. And I, you know, this person isn't asking yeah. me for forgiveness. They're not asking me for anything. Like nothing is required of me right now, except to just be here and feel what I feel. And just like, I still had to just stay in, stay grounded in me in that moment and give myself permission to not know what to do and to not know what to say. Um, and to, and to feel hurt um, mm-hmm. on a level that was like not you rejected me or you betrayed me or anything like that. It was more hurt of like, this is, this hurts, this sucks. I had to see someone, you know, who I cared about who was endangering their life and who, you know, just, I just didn't like to see them do that. And um, that was the reality of that. I just sort of had to allow that to be and to just, Mm-hmm. accept the reality of it. And um, I don't know that I could have done that if I hadn't had at least a little exposure to that program that supports the family of people that are yeah. in addiction. Very much worth, you know, even if uh, even if all you do is just start out with just reading some of the material and get on to the idea of like change other people, You yeah. that is a program about dealing with yourself and as you just said like when your life didn't the parameters around you didn't really change all that much it was you changing yourself that allowed you to engage differently in your life anyway yeah absolutely it's a hard thing there's there's no two ways about it it is a hard thing and I think if if we're left to our own devices like if we're left to just respond emotionally we're probably going to feel kind of crappy and not be all that helpful to the person. But having some guidelines in terms of stay on your own side of the street, stay true to your beliefs, hold people accountable, be kind. That's, that's, that's a good starting point. I think. Yeah. And I feel like if I just know that this, the emotions that I'm feeling around somebody else's drinking probably have a lot to do with my own fears of my own drinking or my own potential for relapse, you know? So like if I can, 
if I can be brave enough to sort of sit with those emotions, then I can kind of uncover like what's next for my recovery. Um, and I think the other thing that occurs to me is the importance of not trying to figure it out ourselves, just like everything with recovery. I mean, when you were kind of feeling those emotions, Jean, you called me, like you reached out to a trusted member of your sober community and said, what, how shall I process this? Um, you know, we don't have to figure this all out on our own, any of it. Um, and I think that that's, and, and for a lot of us, that can be a default. It's like, I'm just going to figure it out. And we don't have to do that, you know? Yeah, right. And our tendency is to isolate. So if we haven't mm-hmm. healed that, healed that, um, what would you call that? that? That little coping skill of like, oh, this feels yeah, bad. Yeah. I know what to do. I'll turtle. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going back that- under my shell. Delicious isolation, you know, let me hide out to try to feel safe. And the opposite is actually true. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking of something you said in that conversation that was like one of my favorite things that you said. And uh, we were sort of discussing like, well, how do you like how do you kind of know, like, what are the signs? Because you were saying that. You were like, well, you can usually kind of see ahead of time, you know, when something is headed down that road. And 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 then I was like, well, how, like, how did you know? And you said, well, because that person is an effing alcoholic. That's what they do. Like, when mm-hmm. you're when you're active and you're thinking, even if you haven't picked up yet, like when you, you can see someone start to slip back into that active mindset of like making excuses, setting themselves up for failure, backing away from their support, um, you know, road markers and allowing like dangerous situations back into their lives. Like you can almost see people kind of setting up for it. And that's, that was what you meant was like, because that person is like, that's what they do. Not that individual. That's, that's what happens in addiction is that that's what we do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, we did an episode a while ago on the bubble hour called something like I relapsed now what? And mm-hmm. the reason it sticks out in my mind is because that was one that I did the production on it. So I remember prepping for it by researching. Um, there's something like 11 or 12 stages of relapse. And the very last one is picking up a drink. And we, at the beginning of that episode, we recapped what those stages are. And um I don't remember them all off the top of my head, but it kind of goes towards turtling. It's like pulling back, making excuses, like thinking you can do everything on your own. Um, And it just sort sort of spirals down. So like a relapse could take actually a really long time before the person picks up a drink. And at a certain point when you kind of witness it with a fair amount of frequency, it becomes a little bit of a radar where you just can kind of like, you know, when somebody is either drinking or is more than likely going to, um, you just kind of can recognize it. And then you just say, Oh, like, that's what we do. I mean, that's what alcoholics do. We want to drink. 
<laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Um, like it, we kind of like slide back to that. I'm I'm trying to find it. I'm Googling. I can't Google and talk at the same time. Um, yeah, it was something like I relapsed. Now what? Um, and, I'm just looking and, up these 11 steps of relapse. So unhealthy emotions, denial, compulsive behavior, triggers, interior chaos, external turmoil, loss of control, addictive thinking, high-risk situations, and then physical relapse and the aftermath of relapse. <clears throat> yeah. That's... Man, That's I just don't want that ap- aftermath, you know. And so when people oh, yeah. then kind of come back from from drinking and, you know, when they sort of, you know, emerge from that, it's it's just so horrible. I mean, and I I really feel for them because I was there, and I just I never want to go back to that again. Um, so that's why I have big compassion. Is that it's not like I'm being cold and sort of shutting people off. It's just like I, I'm, not, I'm not in a position to save anybody. Would that I could. My ex-husband died of this disease. You know, mm-hmm. he drank himself to death. Like if I could have saved him, I would have, you know. Yeah, um, but you can't ride the roller coaster with someone, and I think that's that was where I had to get off because I had people. I think of one person in particular who, like, every few days, um, you know, one day was up, I can do this. The next day was down, I can't. And I I could see that every time got harder and harder for her, and um, and she kept inviting me back on the roller coaster with her. You know, like, yeah. And I, I finally just was like, you know what? I can't ride this with you. Like, I'm over here doing my thing, and uh, I am 100% welcoming you with open arms. Like, uh, and my my care for you is unwavering, but I I can't ride that roller coaster with you. I, I won't help yeah. you if I'm on it with you, you know? Um, that's, that's the thing. And, I, you know, two things stick out to me in that story is, like, the first thing is, is that people have, many people have shared with me that um, every time they go out drinking again, coming back is even harder. Mm-hmm. So like they kind of pick up thinking like, oh, well, I'll just have this one, you know, situation where I'll drink and then I'll stop again. And like, but every time they do that, it that this is a lot of people have told me this, that it gets harder and harder. So number one, I don't want to test my own limits with that. Um, number two, when you're talking about the roller coaster, it's like if a person isn't willing, you know, they say nothing changes, nothing changes. And if the person isn't willing to tr- take a different action, then, then, you know, I'm out of ideas. Like me being a cheerleader just isn't really enough. Like you can't, you can't wish your way to the Olympics, right? You have to get up and train every day. So just thinking about it isn't enough or being cheered on or encouraged isn't enough. You actually have to do the work. And like, if I'm willing to do it, then 
sort of anybody could be because I don't want to do anything like <laughs> so <laughs> you know and I and I certainly don't want to do it your way I want to do everything my way that's just how I'm wired um so I don't know like it I just have to I, I think it's reasonable that somebody needs to be willing to take action of some kind and we've we've talked on many episodes of the program of what different kind of actions could look like. Oh, and they, a lot of them always seem to boil down to, you know, getting honest with some kind of a, a recovery community, whatever that looks like for you, staying connected and being honest with yourself and with those people. Yeah. Yeah. That that is the great ten thousand watt flashlight, right? I mean, it just mm-hmm. it just um, it's so freeing and it's terrifying. And yet, yeah. when it becomes your habit, when honesty becomes, like I say, what it's what's inside your bubble, you know, it's what you carry with you, and it's the lens that everything you do, everything that comes out of you goes through that lens. It is absolutely life-changing I I considered myself an honest person and yet I yeah I think I shaped like I felt like honesty was kind of bendy you know like this is who I am around these people but this is who I am around these people and maybe when I'm with this group I'm a little more like this and I might say this about that which I wouldn't say over here and I mean that that shape-shifting as Ellie used to call it like probably still does call it hey Allie um that sort of shape-shifting is is dishonesty in itself and Mm -hmm. when I realized that that was hurting me like that just became part of the filter that I moved through and it it changed my life probably more than just about anything it certainly changed my life in as big a way as not drinking anymore I mean, it, for me, sure. it's that important. It's like a tent peg and um, nothing, nothing, I won't say nothing gets past that because we're human, but I definitely like hold that as a, such a core value and it's not negotiable, you know? Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. It's a game changer. Game changer. Okay. Well, we're, we're uh, running out of time. We've gone a little bit over and um, I just am being selfish and want to keep you and keep your voice going, but do you have any um, farewell wishes for our listeners? Well, my, my wishes are always exactly what you said, Jean, which is, you know, I, I just wish the freedom and joy of, of recovery and anybody, you know, who's out there listening and, it's the encouragement that like, you know, it's, it's possible. And there are people who are out there who are, you know, more than willing to step into the fray, um, you know, and, and taking that, taking that half step is, you know, sometimes all it's going to take. So I just, I really wish that for everybody. And I'm just so grateful to be here and to hear your voice, Jean, and sending lots of love to everybody out there in bubble hour land. Oh, thank you so much for being here. It's it's wonderful that you took time. I know you're on vacation right now, so this is literally an hour out of your vacation um, for us. Well so worth you. it. Well worth <laughs> it. Okay, um, 
Catherine, stay on the line while I play some closing music just so I can say goodbye to you off air, okay? okay. And listeners, I'm going to just let you loose on the email for the Bubble Hour is thebubblehour at gmail.com. If you'd like to share your story here, let me know. If you'd like to write something for me to read on the air, let me know. If you'd like to send me something to forward on to Catherine, uh, email it to me and I will do that. And uh, please remember that this podcast is supported by the efforts of the nonprofit organization ShiningStrong.org. Uh, you can find the Bubble Hour on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes, and on the internet at thebubblehour.com. My blog is Unpickled. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and I'm online at unpickledblog.com. So, everyone, thank you for listening, and until next time, take good care. Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From power Weakness head on me In a dark corner Is where shame lies behind We think you're strong Just want to be free from